do not change that radio dial or I mean click on a different episode link I'll explain why in just a moment That is correct. This is not a repeat, even though we're, again, going to start out by talking about COVID-19. It is not a repeat of the last episode, 85. This is actually a new episode, episode 86. I want to thank you for taking some time and joining us. You're going to want to hear this entire episode. All of this information in today's episode is must-hear. You're going to want to hear it until the very end. All right, I want to say before we get started, for those of you that have been here from the beginning, thank you for coming back for, yet again, the 86th episode. For those of you that have just recently started checking out the podcast, thank you. Thank you for your interest. Please do yourself and myself a favor, and in the off days, go back through and listen to some of the old content. It all has meaning. Some of it might be dated because of it being near an election, but the principle and the points of the episodes are still valid from now through the next hundred years. So, Please, if you haven't listened to some of the earlier episodes, check that out. You can tell everyone how to find this episode or any of the old episodes by simply Googling the name of the podcast, Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey. However, there is a much easier method. If you go to the internet box and you type in Bilbrey, B-I-L-B-R-E-Y, podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, Bilbrey podcast, and you press enter, this podcast will pop up. We are on all major podcast hosting sites, as well as at the home link of perception.fireside.fm. However, if you want the best listener experience you will listen to this podcast on Radio Public. It's the link that I always share, and it's the best way to listen to the podcast because some people have to start and stop and pick up the rest the next day. It allows you to fast-forward, rewind, and it's a very, very user-friendly format. That's Radio Public. You can also find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com forward slash Bilbrey, B-I-L-B-R-E-Y 318. So tell your friends about us and bring them on. 
All right, so today, again, we're going to start off, unfortunately, talking about COVID-19. But since the last episode, which was just a couple days ago, the situation has changed drastically. There are mass shutdowns of everything everywhere. The NBA is suspending its season. The NCAA has suspended the March Madness tournaments. The entire school system in the state of Ohio has shut down. All school systems in Delaware County and Randolph County and Wayne County and Marion County, I believe now, have all shut down basically from Monday, March 16th through April 13th, 2020. On top of that, we have the governor of the state of Indiana saying that they are banning all gatherings of 250 people or more, which I really don't understand how they do that, but... They're still saying it. We are seeing some governmental buildings either looking at the possibility of closing to the public or all non-essential employees, and most businesses are now saying they are closing unless it's essential business. You're seeing the government buildings in Muncie stating, hey, we're currently open for now. But we are asking that you call ahead of time before you come. Most of the work that you probably want to do can be done over the phone or be done over email. They are going to be taking the temperature of all people that enter the building. And guess what? If you have a temperature, you're not getting in. As of right now, all public meetings are still open because that's a little bit of a gray area. They kind of have to be. Right now, the city council meetings, the county council, county commissioners, board of works meetings, Muncie Sanitary, whatever two-minute get-togethers they have, they're all going to be open. But they are asking that you refrain from coming unless you absolutely have to. And I'm kind of up in the air about that because you know how I push... Every citizen should go. Every person should be there. We should have standing room only. 1,200 people every meeting. Butts in the seat. They need to see your eyeballs. You need to be there to hold them accountable. And I still agree with that. And I'm still pushing for that. However, it's probably better to be safe than sorry. So maybe for the next couple meetings, you know, we only have one council meeting a month in Muncie. Winchester has two. So maybe in Muncie, don't go to the next meeting. Set that next meeting out. Watch it from home. It will be streaming live on Facebook. And interact that way. Get a hold of your council people. Get a hold of your elected officials. And then start going the following month. Maybe when we have a better handle on this. Don't lose interest in that one month. But just understand, we have to do what we have to do to get through this period, and then we can get back to being on top of things and going and being in in public all together again. We got to fight this. We want people to stay alive. 
on top of the buildings closing and them discussing what's happening during public meetings, they're even talking about the possibility of pushing for absentee voting. And that is a whole nother thing that I'm not even going to get into right now. I will be looking at this in the next couple days and weeks, and we'll probably visit this as we get a little bit closer because this is something that I'm not really sure I'm for because we really need people going and pushing those buttons during the early voting hours at the county building and at other vote centers, depending on where you're at. Delaware County certainly doesn't have vote centers because of Ashley Nichols. We should definitely listen to her. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, so I'm not really sure if I'm for the absentee voting. I understand what they're trying to do there. It's called social isolation, and it's what the officials, it's what the doctors are trying to talk to us about, and it's what they're doing through shutting these places down. Don't get it twisted. This is not to contain the virus. The virus is out. It's not containable at this point. This is to mitigate the danger, to mitigate the damage. And when I say that, you're going to be fine, and I'm going to be fine, and the majority of us are going to be fine. The issue is it has a high mortality rate in the elderly population. And there are a lot of elderly people out there. There are a lot of elderly people in the world. A lot of elderly people in America. I have a lot of elderly people in my family. I don't want to kill grandma and grandpa because I want to go to a meeting or to a basketball game. I might get the cold or flu-like symptoms having COVID-19. I might take that to my grandmother and they might die. And I don't want to do that. And you probably don't want to either. And so that you understand what I'm saying here, it's important to understand. For folks that are 80 and over, they're talking like a 12 or 13% mortality rate of 80 or older that get COVID-19. That is insanely high. Could you imagine 12% of all 80-year-olds that get this dying? That is just massively high. So that's the big fear that they have. It drops when you go to 70 and older, but not a whole lot. Could you imagine a 6% mortality rate of folks that are 70 or older? Then when you drop to 60 or older, it's like a 3% mortality rate. Look, folks, I have a lot of people in my life, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, just friends that are 55 years or older. I don't want 3% of those people dying, 6% of those people dying, 12% of those people dying, and neither do you. And so that's what they're trying to do by this mitigation factor of just grinding everything to a halt. Now, of course, that's causing the panic. That's causing the stock market to act all crazy. It's going to put us in a horrible mess as far as a recession. So hopefully we can kind of get that going. I understand it's going to be bad. There's going to be money lost on the airlines and on the uh, tourism 
industry and in the hotel and in restaurant business and all the people that won't be paying to go to see high school basketball, college basketball, and NBA basketball. This is really going to do the economy some damage, but we got to do what we have to do. And people are freaking out because they still think that it's going to be a situation where we're just piling up dead bodies. But that's not exactly the case. It just hurts us in other ways. And people are freaking out because we have never seen a time like this. And so that's really freaking people out. If you go to any of the stores, Walmart, Meyer, other grocery stores, it looks like the day before Thanksgiving. People are freaking out. You know, I understand it appears as though we are living in an apocalyptical type movie. But folks, take a chill pill and relax. Honestly, if you're this worried about it, my suggestion would be to pray. Lay your troubles and your fears and the panic at the feet of the Father. And if you want to talk about that or you need some help with doing all of that, give me a call off the show or send me an email or a Facebook message and we can certainly talk about that. If you're a non-believer and there are people out there that do not believe, I, I don't really know what you'll do, but just try to relax. There's no reason to go crazy. So that's why I wanted to take an opportunity to talk about this again because there is a lot of things that's happening that's causing people to be fearful. Donald Trump has shut down the borders. No people in or out flying to Europe or to other locations in the world. They, just before we started recording today, on Friday the 13th, mind you, declared a national emergency. So this kind of stuff causes people to panic. More importantly, there is so much misinformation. People are talking to crackhead Bob at the VP and hearing that somebody walked in and was hacking and coughing and that person says, well, that person had the coronavirus. So, you know, Jill pumps her gas and goes home and puts on Facebook, hey, crackhead Bob at the VP just told me that some person there had COVID-19 and everybody freaks out and takes that as the gospel. That's certainly not the gospel. So... What we've done is scheduled an interview with someone who has up-to-the-second information, someone who is on the ground fighting this, and someone who has an understanding of what we're looking at. We're going to be joined in just a few moments on the phone by the executive director of the Wayne County, Indiana Health Department. She's the executive director of that county. There are 92 executive directors of all of the health departments in Indiana. They have all received the same information, and they are all in charge of running their department per state guidelines and federal guidelines. And now things can be different from county to county, but mostly they are working on the same plan. Obviously, all of these people have to work within 
their communities with the populations that they have, with their police departments, their fire departments, their elected officials. They have to take orders from the state health department and from the governor and from the federal government. But talking with somebody from a health department, specifically at the position of executive director, we're going to get a lot of great information from this woman. So this is going to be an episode that you won't want to miss because directly after the conversation about the COVID-19 virus and what's going on there, we will be getting into the indictments on everyone that has been arrested by the FBI in the city of Muncie in the last couple days. There have been five arrests made based on two separate and completely different FBI investigations, and we'll be getting into all of that directly after the COVID-19 discussion. This will just be one of those episodes that you won't want to miss a second of. Before we get our guest on the line, I need to talk to you about the sponsor of this 86th episode of the show, Fruit of the Bean Coffee. Have you been to their website yet, fruitofthebean.com? If you haven't, you're missing out. Now, I know you could get in your car and you could go to the store and you could fight the hordes of people fighting over toilet paper and hand sanitizer, or you could drive down the street to that expensive place hoping that somebody inside there doesn't have have the virus that we're all trying to not get just to pay an exorbitant amount for a so-so cup of coffee. I've got a better idea. While you're listening to this very episode of Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbury, head on over to fruitofthebean.com and check out some of their amazingly fresh roasted coffee. They have whole bean and ground coffee products. For those of you that don't have a coffee grinder at home, you don't have to miss out on their amazingly fresh roasted coffee products. But folks, it's not just about the coffee and making a profit. They are also concerned with helping some of the world's most vulnerable people, the orphans and those affected by human trafficking. So head over to fruitofthebean.com right now and use the promotion code PERCEPTION at checkout for 25% off. It's fruitofthebean.com. Head there now. Perception. Perception. Perception is... Reality. Reality. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are currently being joined on the phone by the executive director of the Wayne County, Indiana Health Department, Mrs. Christine Stinson. Christine, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I wanted to have somebody on that had an understanding of what we're facing here with the COVID-19 and and had a little bit of... uh, Common sense. We'll use that term lightly, Chris. <laughs> well, I, uh, you said that, not me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I wanted a chance to talk to someone who was kind of on the front lines of this. Yep. And as I've talked about in the intro to the show, uh, this is great information no matter if you live in Indiana or you live in Ohio or you live wherever. And and as always, I, I, I'm careful to tell everybody that this is definitely not legal advice. This is not medical advice. We're not doctors. And everybody needs to use their own gut instincts and common sense. This is basically just kind of information to try to give everybody a little bit of a better picture of what we're looking at here. There seems to be a lot of mass hysteria going on. And uh, so I'm just trying to uh, give everybody a little bit of help here. 
Yeah, there, there's a lot of confusion out there, and, and a lot of people don't understand why public health is doing some of the things that we are doing. And when there's confusion, that leads to fear. Sure, sure. So why don't you talk a little bit about just kind of, I, I, in a summary form of, of what, what's going on and, and why, why we're seeing, because I know, like, we've talked in, in prep for this, that, Right. You know, everyone's kind of freaking out because for the first time in some people's lives that are 60 years old, they're seeing like the NBA has suspended a season right. and a, a whole government buildings are shutting down or or limiting who's coming in. And people are school systems are shut down. The whole school system in Ohio has shut down. I know right. the school systems in Wayne County has shut down now all. Yep. Uh, a good majority of the school systems in in Delaware County and Randolph County are now shutting down. So that's really freaking people out. But you say that's not really something that people should be freaked out about. And it's it's why is that happening? What what's going on here? Well, so what we're dealing with is a, a pandemic, which means we're seeing you know uh, epidemic numbers in multiple places around the world, uh, and, and this is of a particular concern because it's a novel virus, meaning it's new. We've never seen this before. We have no vaccine. And uh, there's not a lot other than palliative care for someone that gets severe symptoms of the COVID-19. Here's the good thing, though, that we need to focus on, that 80% of people that do con contract the COVID-19 are going to experience very mild symptoms to this, um, a slight fever, a cough, and then they're, they're going to recover because they have a hearty immune system. So that's most people. But what we see in the elderly and people with compromised immune system, uh, we see some, some higher mortality rates in that. And some of the numbers that, that public health is seeing are kind of startling. And, and we want to do what's best for the community as, whole, as a whole. Children are the, the population that are seeing mild symptoms. So children have hearty immune systems, and so they're experiencing very mild symptoms. Um, we're, we're seeing that sometimes children don't even experience the fever. It's just the cough, uh, but why they are, uh, why they do have it, they can spread the virus, and that then opens up the susceptible population of the elderly and people with compromised immune system. It puts them at risk. So, we're out of the containment phase of this epidemic in yeah. Indiana and, and, and in Wayne County, and we're into a mitigation phase. And what I want the public to know is we've already had plans for these. So the things that we're implementing uh, right now, as far as the closures of schools and, and uh, the limiting of mass gatherings, these are all part of pandemic plans that we've had in place for decades. Absolutely. We're just implementing them now for the first time. You know, when we write these plans and when we're writing them, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago and updating them, we always, you know, you plan and hope that you never have to implement them. Unfortunately, we are having to implement them and they do put stress on the community. Anytime you close a school system, that's problematic for the whole entire community, whether you have a child in school or you don't. So we don't shut down schools uh, lightly. 
you know, there, there's a lot of things that we have to consider. But after considering all of that, and in Wayne County, we sat down with all of the superintendents and, and discussed this. And at, collectively, as a group, we, we decided that this was the best thing for the community because we want to slow that virus down, that epidemic down. And when you think about any epidemic, whether it's the, you know, influenza A, influenza B, uh, strep throat, you, you have um, a curve, you know, and, and you have a spike in it and then it comes back down. And we'll have the same thing with COVID-19. You know, you'll have an increase in numbers and then they come down. Sure. By closing the schools down and limiting the mass gatherings, what we're trying to do is flatten that, that curve, flatten that epidemic curve down. And so think about, let's say we have X number of people in any community that's going to get COVID-19. Let's say that number is 100. We would rather see 100 patients over a span of 100 days than 100 patients in two days. Yeah. Because if you see 100 patients in two days, you're going to overwhelm your healthcare system. Absolutely. That's yeah. That's yeah. So so doing these things that promote social isolation, closing the school downs, limiting mass ice, uh, uh, limiting mass gatherings. We're trying to promote the the social isolation. You know where people stay home, where children are are taken out of those those uh, little breeding grounds of any virus, you sure. know, or any sickness happens in the schools. So this is all that we're trying to do is promote that social isolation and slow the 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 pace of this epidemic down some to spread it out instead of letting it peak really high and then come back down and overwhelm our healthcare settings. Right. Well, and I'll tell you, that's a big thing because you you made me sound so smart because last night when we were talking about this, you said the thing about mitigating. And I started saying that to a couple different people while all of the news media was still saying containment, containment, containment. And then now, today, I've noticed uh, on several of the national news outlets folks have started saying the mitigating factor and i actually have had a couple people say holy shit how you know why why did you start saying that last night and then now they're saying this i said well it's obviously because i'm a genius you know uh, but i i'm i'm here now giving credit to you because you said that and so that makes so much sense and when you said that because i'm a germaphobe i'm kind of kind of a hypochondriac when i say kind of i mean literally seriously severely on a scale of one to five i'm at a level 17 uh so i was freaking out about this a little bit while trying to calm everyone else down at the same time but when you said that that made so much sense and i heard also at the same time right after i got off the phone with you i heard last night that a gentleman had asked, I believe in New York, you know, what's the punishment if we do go out and do do this? And someone said, well, I mean, you know, you're not going to be thrown in jail, but the punishment is you kill your grandma. So if you can live with that, do what you got to do. But the punishment is most of us are going to be okay. But I was I was hearing like the the mortality rates for 80 and higher and 70 and higher and 60 and higher. You know, I, I got a lot of people in my life that I love and care about that are 55 and older. And so hearing some of the mortality rates for that 60 plus 70 plus 80 plus is, is really, is really scary. Even though the majority of us are going to be fine, it would be crazy to lose 
you know, 12% of 80 year olds or higher. That's crazy sounding. So that's why this is, that's why what you're saying here makes uh, so much sense. Now, let me ask you this, because this is the other thing that everyone is screaming there. Of course, there's so much rumors and I I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. And of course, there's no way you're ever going to prevent that. I wish people would not pass along information that you don't know. If your buddy calls and tells you, hey, I was at the VP and someone there said I had uh, COVID-19, don't get on and post that because that's just your buddy. It's a game of telephone at that point. And you're just causing and working up panic. So, So quit doing that. But, well, Chris, I get I get phone calls daily. Yeah. I mean, hundreds of phone calls a day we're, we're fielding, and uh, so many of them are. I've heard from a reliable source that <laughs> in Wayne County, you guys have X number of people, and I have to say, you know, we have no information right now. Wayne County has has no confirmed cases of COVID-19, but they hear it from a reliable source. Absolutely. I don't know who the reliable source is because. You can go to ISDH's website, and that's the Indiana State Department of Health, and anyone can watch that dashboard. Sure. They, they are updating that dashboard every day at 10 o'clock in the morning. You can go to isdh.in.gov, and okay. you can watch that. You don't have to, to re- rely on your reliable sources to tell you. ISDH is going to tell you they're tracking and they're being very transparent with the number of people that are being tested and how many are positive. So that is your reliable source. Yes. ISDH is your reliable source and your local health department. They are going to be putting out press releases. They are going to be posting and and keeping the public up to date because knowledge is power, Chris. And when we are testing and the more we can test – the, the better we're going to be able to plan more specifically for this this virus. The problem is, is we're kind of behind the eight ball on testing. Right. Uh, we're, we haven't, you know, got enough testing out there in the state of Indiana. They have opened it up now to where private laboratories. So we have a couple of private laboratories that can do the test. So doctors are now able do not just rely on when ISDH has test available for you to get tested. If uh, the doctor feels like you meet the criteria to be tested, that doctor can order that test and it can be done through a private laboratory. Now, it's really, really expensive (laughs) through the private laboratory. But one of the things I did hear in President Trump's uh, uh, press conference the other night was that they were going to try to get insurance companies to waive the copay to those um, uh, tests for for the COVID-19. That would be a great thing, and I hope that that happens because that would be a wonderful thing to do because I don't want people to not be tested because of the price of the testing. So we need more testing, but understand when we do more testing, you're going to see more cases. Sure. And we're not going to freak out in Indiana. We're not going to freak out in Wayne County when we start seeing the, the numbers rise. We are expecting this and we have a plan for that. Right. So let me ask you this. What if, okay, I'm 38 years old. I'm, I'm not a diabetic. I'm not a smoker. I don't have asthma. I, I, I don't have AIDS or I don't have cancer, some underlying disease. I don't have any kind of lung health issues. I don't have an autoimmune disorder. If I start developing a cough, if I start developing a fever, 
and it's a low-grade fever, and I start having... Everybody knows the difference between having sinus issues. I, I have horrible sinus issues have my entire life. Everybody knows drainage and, and that kind of cough, sore throat thing. Everybody knows what it feels like to get a cold in your chest, and you can kind of tell if it's a if it's a higher chest cold or a deep chest cold kind of associated with people when they have pneumonia and things like that. Say I start getting these symptoms, and I'm doing all right breathing, and everything is okay. I either live alone or I live with a spouse. What what is the bit? What 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 needs to happen there? Is that something I need to rush and and call nine one one and call you guys and say, hey, I've got you know something going on? Or do you kind of monitor what's you know what are these people supposed to start doing at that point? Yeah, um, if, if you feel like you know, I, I really think that I have this. I've got a, a, a fever and I've got this this uncontrollable dry cough. You know, I can't contain that cough. Um, no matter what I do to try to suppress that cough, it, it comes out. That's what I've been described as that, that COVID-19 cough. It's, it's the one that you, no matter what you do, it, it comes out yep. and cough. Um, first and foremost, call your physician. Stay in contact with your primary care physician and let them know. They're going to direct you that, you know what, I think that you do need to be tested. And they're going to give you the protocol of where to go to get the testing. Because the last thing we want you to do is show up at the hospital and infect more people. Yes. So the, your doctor's office is going to tell you how to get tested. They're going to give you what door to enter, you know, and, and you know what to do prior to getting there. So follow your doctor's advice and guidance and direction on how to get tested. And if they, they don't want to do the testing, if they think that, you know what, chances are you just have, you know, influenza A, Chris, you're healthy, um, you're, you're going to be fine, rest, relax, and stay home. Drink lots of water and stay home. You know, if you, if you live with someone, uh, you want to clean high contact surfaces often, you know, if you can't sleep in separate rooms, sleep in separate rooms, you know, social isolation inside of your house, you sure. know, uh, but the chances are when you live with someone, whether it's COVID-19 or influenza A, you're probably going to get your spouse sick. Absolutely. Um, but, but you can try to, again, mitigate uh, how many people you infect by staying home. Right. That's what we can't impress and whether it's, it's COVID-19 or it's influenza A or, or influenza B or strep throat, whatever contagious virus or, or uh, issue you're having, stay home. Yeah. Stay home. Right, right. Um, well, if you need palliative care, call the hospital first and they will give you directions on what they need you to do before you enter the building. Absolutely. And that that's the big thing I, I saw. It's, Someone had put on uh, social media the other day that I, I'm really mad. I, I I feel like I've got this. I've, I'm sick, and and I went I went to the hospital, and and no one would talk to me, and they they told me to leave, and I was affecting. You know, I, I'm like I was just like, and so I was walking around affecting everybody, and greeted everybody on my way out too, and now I'm just driving around pissed and posting on Facebook about it. And I got on, and I was like, dude, quit 
Go home. You know, quit, quit doing this. First thing you need to do is go home and maybe contact a doctor. And for those, well, let me ask you this. This is a, probably a good question. What about their, those people, and there are people out there like that, that does not have a primary care physician? If you're someone who is lower income or you're in between doctors, something has happened, and you feel like you may or may not, ha- you feel like you may have this, what is that person to do at that point? Who do they call at that point? Well, they need, they need to call a, a, a urgent care you know, facility and okay. talk to those doctors and, okay. and get direction there. Just like if they were sick with anything else, you sure. know, instead of just showing up and saying, Hey, I need to talk to a doctor, call that clinic and say, listen, I think I need to be tested for COVID-19 or I think I have influenza. A, what do you want me to do? Absolutely. You know, and they're going to give you that, that direction. But the last place we want people to show up is the hospital. We don't want the hospital to be a primary care physician, right? You, you should Go to the hospital when it's, you know, um, when you can't breathe, you know, yeah. and uh, it, it's an emergency situation. Yes. Where, um, and a lot of times that's just being sick is not the emergency, and that's not where we need to be in the emergency room. Absolutely, and I'm hearing that from everyone else that I'm talking to about this matter. And I do want to throw in a quick disclaimer. The information that we are talking about and going off of and the information that you're giving about there not being any confirmed COVID-19 patients is information that you are giving to me as we are recording this at 6.15 p.m. on Friday the 13th of March 2020. And so for folks that are listening to this on Saturday the 14th or are listening to this later in the week, really any time after right now, which pretty much everyone will be listening to this after now because it's a podcast, so it's recorded material that is not live, all of this information is subject to change and will likely change simply because of the fact that this situation and all of the information is so fluid. So be sure to keep that in mind, everyone. Right. And, Um, you know, with with this uh, epidemic right now, uh, everything is so fluid. Yes. Uh, You know, nothing is the same. I did a, a TV interview this morning and by the it was a 20 minute TV interview. And when I admitted I came out, my preparedness coordinator gave me some information that I didn't have to tell the the reporter. You need to put a disclaimer on there that this was recorded, you know, and there was breaking news that yes. that changed kind of the the some of the information that we were putting out. Yes. Um, and and it, it, what it was, uh, the recommendation from the Wayne County Board of Health was that our schools close for spring break, which is uh, not this upcoming week, but the following week, and then the two weeks following spring break. So anyone that traveled or, or whatever, there would be that two-week cooling off time Sure. Uh, that if anyone was exposed by travel or whatever, you know, th- that 14 days would have passed before they go back to school. Um, our schools then chose, while I was doing that interview today, to close mo- coming Monday. Okay. And so they're closing Monday instead of uh, the, the following Monday, which would have been the 23rd, I believe. Sure. Uh, was the, the first time, but now they're going to close on uh, Monday the 16th. Yeah, I, I believe by about 
2 p.m. on Friday the 13th, which would have been a couple of hours ago from the recording, that most of the the school systems, school corporations in Delaware County has done the same thing. They just canceled from this coming Monday on through, I believe, April the 13th is what I saw that most of them read. So you're just going to have to listen to your school systems, listen to your health departments, and listen to your local governments. While we're at it, Go ahead and give me the address for that health department dashboard that you were referring to a moment ago. It's the Indiana State Department of Health website, and you can reach that at isdh.in.gov. And right there on the front of their page, there's a a COVID-19 big banner and a place to click. When you click on that, you will, one of the first things that you see as you scroll down is the dashboard. And that dashboard tells you how many people in Indiana. There's a nice little map next to it that has a dot on each county that sees cases. You can run your cursor over that. It'll say this is, you know, uh, Hendricks County and they have uh, three cases or this is Marion County. They have one, but they update that every day at 10 a.m. That's that's good information. And then as yeah. you scroll down, there's all kinds of links that you can click on, and they have uh, informational flyers that you can post at your business if you're a business person. There are oh, yeah. guidance documents for jails, uh, daycares, everything. There's so much information. There's also links to the CDC website uh, that gets into a little more details. It's a wonderful website, and I hope that everyone goes there for their information yes. instead of going to uh, the VP and listening <laughs> to the experts there at the Village Pantry <laughs> from their reliable sources. Right. Right. Because ISDH truly is a reliable source for information on the COVID-19 outbreak. Excellent. That's that's wonderful information and a great resource, and I will definitely put a link to that site in the summary of this episode. Well, Christine, we are quickly running out of time, but I want to thank you for coming on and speaking with the listeners and I about this information, and hopefully we will be able to help slow some of the panic and some of the craziness that is occurring. However, I do have two last questions to ask you before you go. First, where are we at as far as the timeline on all of this? You hear people say, well, we're in the peak now, or you'll hear others say, oh, we're still 30 or 40 days outside of the peak. Is it going to get crazier? Is it going to get worse? Or do you guys just not know because of how new all of this is and how fluid the situation currently is? Chris, it's it's really, like I said, we're under testing right now. Yeah. And until we do better surveillance, we're not 100% sure where we are in this. Are we uh, still going up? Have we peaked and are we coming back down? We're, we're not 100% sure where we are in this. And until we're doing more surveillance, we just won't know. And it would just be speculating. Absolutely. Well, so let me ask you this. This is the last question that I have. What is the thinking or what are the current models showing as far as what happens to this virus as it starts to get warmer? Do we think that this will die off similar to how the flu does? Are we thinking that it might die off and just be gone, that this was a one-time thing? Do we think that 
at least it'll die off and give us several months to work on a vaccine and that this might be a yearly situation that we have to deal with every winter just like influenza A and influenza B and and everything else that we deal with in the winter time or is it still just too early to say yeah, because this is the the novel strain of of the coronavirus, we just don't know, and it's okay. it's to speculate. Um, there's always hopes yeah. uh, that it follows that same uh, ebb and flow of the annual flus. Um, most experts believe that this uh, coronavirus, um, COVID nineteen, will kind of become something that we see annually. Okay, but. Right now, all of this is speculation. We just don't know yet, and I don't want to put out speculation sure. well, uh, because I, you know I, I only want to put out factual things. Absolutely, so absolutely. The, the best thing I can say is we just don't know yet. I completely understand that. All right. Well, before we end, is there anything else that you would like to say or that you feel like needs to be heard before we wrap? I think that the most important thing for any community, whether it's it's Wayne County or, or anywhere, uh, Dr. Box is the uh, state health commissioner uh, for ISDH. And one thing that she said that has stuck with me is we will get through this. Sure. We, we will get through this. We have plans and, and we're implementing the plans and we will get through this. There will be a beginning, a middle and an end. We just don't know where we're at in this, but we will get through this. Together, we'll get through this. And we know that, that what's going on right now is difficult, and it, it's adding a lot of stress to people, you know, uh, worry stress and financial stress. We get it, but we will get through this. And then the, the last thing that I want to leave people with is if you're sick, stay home. Yeah. While the schools are closed, keep your children home. You know, as as much as possible, we we understand that there'll be doctor's appointments that, you know, need to happen. And and we do have to go out and get food and stuff. Limit, you know, how much your your children are out there. We're closing the schools down to promote that social isolation. So if you're sick, stay home. Yeah. Cover your cough and wash your hands. If you don't remember the last time you washed your hands, go wash your hands. Hey, look, I like going to Fort Myers Beach as much as the next person, but not so much that I want to risk killing my grandmother when I get back or killing anybody else's grandmother because I wanted to go have a good time in Florida or on a cruise. And also, I don't know why we need to have this horrible thing happen. For people to realize they need to use proper hygiene, wash their hands, and not be disgusting creatures you know i I don't i'll never understand that people are just nasty to begin with but you need to act like you have common sense and also while you're doing that if you act like no one else has common sense that gets your guard up a little bit more and uh so that's that's how you need to look like you know you wash your hands do what you need to do and pretend like nobody else is and that way you can kind of be guarded when you're doing certain things and that should probably keep you keep you all right but yeah just stay the hell home i mean you know what's what's wrong with that okay well i want to thank you christine for taking some time out of your busy day to speak with the listeners and i you've given us a lot of great information on this 
very scary situation. It is scary. I understand it. I understand that the media and everything that's going on can cause panic. Everyone needs to slow their roll a little bit, take a couple deep breaths. One of the biggest things is don't be spreading misinformation. Just like we don't want to spread the virus, we also shouldn't be spreading misinformation. So if you don't know something for certain, don't just say it on the internet because you want to say something on the internet. That doesn't help anything. So everyone just kind of slow down. We have to listen to people like Christine and others who are in the field. Christine, thank you, because I know that you have had a lot of busy days as of late, and I know that your days are going to be busy. That's probably going to turn into weeks, possibly months. I wish you the very best, and I want you to be safe out there in the midst of all of this. Please know that you are welcome on the show anytime. Matter of fact, I would like to talk to you into the future once we kind of see how all of this has kind of shaken out and we can kind of see how we fared. So thank you very much. Have a great day. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again sometime. Okay. I appreciate that, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone, that was Mrs. Christine Stinson, the executive director of the Wayne County, Indiana Board of Health, kind of giving us a little bit of a rundown on where we are currently in this uh, state of apocalypse that we are currently (laughs) dealing with. So, uh, all right, now to focus on the other big, big story that's currently ongoing in Muncie and Delaware County, where in the last two consecutive days, Thursday, March 12th, and Friday, March 13th, 2020, we have had five public officials arrested in two separate federal investigations. We will first talk about the corruption aspect, and then second, we will talk about the use of force police brutality situation. So the corruption aspect has been going on since January of 2016, so that's four and a half, five five years, and it has totally been a long and grueling, arduous ordeal, and it's really just kind of seemed like it's plotted along, really. The majority of folks look at this as an investigation into Mayor Dennis Tyler, his administration, City Hall under Tyler's leadership, and then others connected to Tyler. And I think that's completely a wrong way to look at it. I believe after everything that I've seen, all of the people, all of the different sources that I've talked to, and the very different aspects of this situation, and reading the indictments and seeing what's happened here, I believe it started out as an investigation into Dennis Tyler and his time as mayor and the people underneath him in the administration, but it very quickly became apparent in my eyes, and it has to be in the eyes of the investigators, that Tyler was just a pawn. He was one of many. Basically, what my theory here is, you had a an umbrella. And at the top of the umbrella is, you know, the quote unquote ace card. And it's absolutely that my belief that that ace card, that the top of the umbrella, that the top of all of this massive corruption 
is Phil Nichols. And it's funny because it was Phil that was picked up with Jesse Neal in separate locations on Thursday the 12th, and we'll get to that just in a second. But I think that people look at this wrongly. I think that this is looked at as being a situation where they're looking into Dennis Tyler and his administration and the fingers that offshoot from there. And that's certainly not what's happening here. I believe at first it was a perfect storm that caused the FBI to come into town. And it was all pointing towards Tyler and the administration and what was happening there. But I believe that when the FBI came in and started kicking over rocks and started talking to people, they thought, oh shit, we should have brought a lunch because they've been here for the last four and a half, five years. And it's still ongoing. And I think that it very quickly to them became apparent that this wasn't just Dennis Tyler and there was an organization of corruption underneath of him. I believe that what they quickly learned was there was Phil Nichols, who at one time was a city councilor and the Democrat Party boss, who long ago retired from politics and retired from being the party chair to go into the position that he's held for the longest, which is shadow figure and kind of ruler of them all, being the puppet master, pulling the strings and making it all work. And that underneath his hand was an umbrella of corruption where different aspects of corruption were allowed to flourish and some of it got kicked back up to fill. A lot of it probably did, or to the Democrat Party. And then because of all of this other craziness ongoing, that allowed other actions to occur and other people to say, well, hey, I'm going to get mine. And so they started kind of stepping out of line and doing things they probably wouldn't otherwise have done if all of the other nonsense wasn't going on. So then we got into a situation where you have this, in my opinion, criminal organization being the Delaware County Democrat Party running these games and it sucked up a lot of people and we've seen a lot of indictments and a lot of arrests come from this and I believe in my heart of heart we're going to see at least a couple more and we can get into that at another time but so far what we have seen hasn't really been as interesting, I think, as some of the people thought that it would be. We're seeing people getting picked up on what looks like fairly minor stuff. Now, I don't mean to downplay it in any way. It's all criminal, and they should all take the ride that they've taken, and they should all do the time, and I'm happy for it. Get them out of here, and let's clean this crap up. Absolutely. But a lot of people have been worried for so long, hey, they're not going to get Phil Nichols. And I think that's when people started to realize he's the mastermind behind all of this. And that if you look at the criminal organization, it's Phil Nichols and then some people, in my opinion, and then Dennis Tyler and then people down below that. So I don't believe that Dennis was the kingpin here. I very much believe that it was Phil Nichols and others. I believe that 
at one point, Dennis may have been on the same level as Phil, but I think at some point, just kind of like what you always hear in the Mafia movies, at some point, everybody gets got. And I think that's, I think that's what happened here. And I think that at some point, the relationship between Phil and between Dennis dissolved and and Dennis at that point was expendable and Phil needed to make sure that he was set up and he was good in his life and he was taken care of and it didn't matter what happened to Dennis and so Dennis became a pawn at that point am I making excuses for Dennis hell no Dennis is a 70 some year old man he knows the difference between right and wrong and doing this or that and I'm certainly not making any excuses I'm just saying when looking at this investigation certainly everyone must understand that this is a situation where there was a cabal here and that Underneath this cabal, corruption was allowed to flourish, and because of that, there were offshoots of corruption, and there were different people kind of teaming up with others, and it kind of made for some strange bedfellows for a while, and that's, that's what we've seen here. And so, from January of 2016, when the FBI first came into town, first serving search warrants, when the whole thing with Craig Nichols, Phil's son, first happened, and he was arrested and indicted, and all of that happened. Craig Nichols is currently serving time for all of that. Matter of fact, he will be out before most of these people have even went to trial because, again, I've said this has been a long, arduous process where every six months or so we see a search warrant and then it goes quiet for four, five, five, six, seven months. And then we see an arrest warrant and somebody's taken down and we all get the indictment and we go from there and then it's quiet for six months and then something else happens. Well, it's been a while. July was the last time anything had happened. July of 2019. Tony Franklin and Nikki Grigsby. Tony Franklin is a longtime businessman who did work with the city of Muncie and the Democrat Party and the Muncie Sanitary District. Nikki Grigsby is the longtime Muncie Sanitary District administrator. And they were indicted. Nikki's been on a quote-unquote unpaid, paid leave since January 16th of 2019. That's something that we're definitely going to be taking a look at. And I have been looking at over the last couple days and weeks. We're going to get into that real hot and heavy here coming up. But that's the last time anything happened. And with a new administration taking over City Hall in January of 2020... Everyone kind of thought, well, now what's going to happen? And there's all these rumors. Well, it's ended. There's nothing more is going to happen. Some people said, oh, yeah, it's always getting ready to crank up. It's always getting ready to take off. And then just nothing. Okay. Well, on Thursday, March 12th, 2020, at about 830 in the morning, Phil Nichols, longtime Democrat Party mastermind, party boss in the dirtiest sense of the word, was taken into custody. And he is being charged with wire fraud, 
conspiracy to commit wire fraud, and witness tampering. And the indictment lays out everything that the FBI is alleging and that was alleged in the grand jury testimony. And it'll be interesting to see how this case plays out. But along with Phil Nichols, on a different side of town, a long-time Muncie City police officer, a sergeant on the MPD, was arrested for his role in all of this corruption. And he also was charged with wire fraud conspiracy to commit wire fraud and witness tampering and that police officer was Jesse Neal now I have to say right on the record I've known Jesse for a long time I've been friendly with Jesse Jesse and I were friends and and I considered him a friend if they prove this case against him he should absolutely take the ride for what he's done absolutely I agree with that everybody has to pay the piper for the actions they commit and it is what it is. Jesse has long been accused of being a dirty cop, being tied to this and that. Now, a lot of that stems from the fact that he was the sergeant in charge of the Muncie City, Delaware County Drug Task Force. And there's a lot of mystique that goes into that. And some of the stuff is true. Some of it's not true. You know, a lot of it's rumor and innuendo. But what we're seeing here with this tie of his to some of these business people and the tie to the Muncie Sanitary District and the tie to Phil Nichols and this cabal of corruption, that's different than what was ever said in the past. And this seems very real. However, again... I will state that there just didn't seem to be much here. So while this made a lot of people happy because of all of the dirt that's played out for years and years and years and years, and while people are excited that this happened, when this arrest came down and when these indictments came out, it just it didn't seem as big as all of the rest. I guess because... One, people are kind of getting sick of how long this is taking and all of this has been kind of played out. We didn't really learn anything new. I kind of think that people felt like if or when Phil Nichols was taken into custody, that information would be produced and everybody would be like, oh, this and this and this and this. And this was just kind of like, Bam, he's arrested more of the same, and he's home by like 1 o'clock that afternoon. And so it's just a situation where I feel as though, eh, you know, it's just going to take more time. What we're seeing play out is real life. It's not law and order. It's not, you know, the rookie or, or, or whatever else nonsense Chicago PD that you see. It's not being wrapped up nicely with a bow in, in 60 minutes. What we're seeing is real life, and there's ups and there's downs, and it's not all black and white. There's a lot of gray, and some of it, you know, we know this happened, and it's real bad, but it's not even mentioned, and so that's what we're seeing. But the good thing is, 
I don't think we're done here, folks. I believe there are still people out there currently working in and around city government, possibly county government, that is being looked at. I believe that there are still business people. I believe that there are people still sitting on boards in local government that probably should be sweating bullets. And it's going to be interesting to see what comes of the Muncie Sanitary District fight with the city and the city's fight with the Muncie Sanitary District. It's going to be interesting to see what comes of Bill Smith, Joe Evans, Mike Klein. It's going to be really interesting as we start to take a look at Nikki Grigsby over the next couple weeks and months. It's going to be really interesting because as citizens, why this matters to you is these are your officials. These are your people that should be working for you. These are the people who are getting paid tax dollars, okay, to work for you. And if they're not doing what they should be doing, and they're getting away somehow with money, that's tax money. If they're not doing what's best for the citizens in the city and the county or whatever that they work for, then that's definitely, definitely a problem. And when you see the wording in the press release put out by the United States Attorney's Office, it gives you a little bit of hope that at least somebody understands. To quote the United States Attorney for the Southern District of Indiana, Josh Minkler, the quote-unquote prosecution for the federal government, he goes on to say in the press release, public officials are entrusted to perform a public service and to legitimately conduct business in the best interest of the community that they represent. These people being taken into custody and being indicted, not only betrayed the trust of the community, but violated federal law, all in an effort to serve their own personal interests. When you hear that, it gives you hope. And that's why I talk about it here, because folks should be pissed about this. Whether we're talking about the mayor or we're talking about a police officer, or we're talking about a long-time Democrat who is the puppet master of the party, or we're talking about a lowly Muncie Sanitary District employee, or we're talking about a businessman who gets money to do business and then pays money to do business and then makes money, and they're getting richer while you're paying in and you can't get your road fixed properly, you have to learn to stand up and fight against this and put in people who will do right. And people falter. People falter. Someone might get in and might be great for a long time. And then boom, they're presented with an opportunity and they make the wrong choice. And as a citizen, you're the boss and you must stand up and say no more. And when this happens and when this information comes out, you have to applaud this effort and you have to do what you can 
to help right this wrong, and that's what we're doing. So I just wanted to talk about this for a second because I knew that a lot of people seemed a little bummed, but I want to give you at least the thought that there is a bigger picture here. So this is still really early on in what's happened with Phil Nichols and Jess Neal. Of course, there are a whole laundry list of other people. Craig Nichols, he's already been prosecuted and is serving time. Tracy Barton has been arrested and indicted and charged and will be going to trial. Jeff Burke, Rodney Barber, Deborah Nicole Grigsby. Remember we talked about Nikki Grigsby? That's Nikki. Deborah Nicole Grigsby. Tony Franklin. Dennis Tyler, and then now Phil Nichols and Jess Neal. And I believe that the Operation Public Trust, which is what the FBI and the attorney, Josh Minkler, have called this investigation, I believe it's ongoing. And I believe that sooner rather than later, we will see at least a couple more, two, three, four more arrests at least I hope. But moving on to look at the second indictments that occurred the very next day on Friday, March 13th, this is a totally separate federal investigation. So what has been occurring for the last four years looking at corruption is that, and we saw the latest action in that investigation take place on Thursday, March 12th, with the arrest of Phil Nichols and Jess Neal. The next day, Friday, March 13th, 2020, we see the FBI arresting three other individuals, but that has nothing to do with the corruption. See, <laughs> and it's almost laughable, if it wasn't actually happening in real life, in a city that we all love, it, it would be funny. But it's, it's really not. It's sad. So this other totally separate, different investigation doesn't have anything to do with corruption, but it has to do with something as equally bad, possibly worse, because you're dealing totally with police officers. See... The corruption investigation has been going on since January of 2016. But totally separate from that and having nothing to do with that at all, you have a police department, the Muncie City Police Department. And on the department, you have some really wonderful people. And like every other aspect of life and every other job and career out there, you have good and bad people working with, around, for you. And the Muncie Police Department's no different. They have some bad folks working on the police department. Always have, always will. It's the job of the police, and it's the job of the public to try to stop that and to try to weed out the bad apples. And hopefully that's what's happening here. So at some point... In the summer of 2018, it became apparent due to several 
complaints of use of force issues with the Muncie City Police Department, specifically a couple officers on the police department. And one specifically was named in several of these incidents. Okay, so quickly before we move on through this, I want to say, as a former law enforcement officer, I support law enforcement, and I love good cops. And as anyone who supports law enforcement will tell you, or anyone in law enforcement should tell you, I hate a bad cop. Bad cops make it hard for everyone. All right? That's just something that is common knowledge. Okay? And I understand, believe me, I understand, that law enforcement in today's world is not easy. It's never been an easy job. But you must uphold the law. And you must be able to act with restraint because you see the very best and the very worst of folks and you have to be able to do your job appropriately. And it's just a matter of the beast, folks. It's a matter of what it is. But sometimes in arrests, subjects don't comply and officers have to go hands-on. And there is absolutely a use-of-force continuum. So it starts off with officer presence, just having the uniform, the marked car. It then goes up to officer commands. It then goes, you know, yelling a little bit of hands-on, taking the person into custody, putting them in handcuffs pushing, pulling, and it goes up and up and up, and deadly force is the last force on the force continuum. However, as we all know, there's sometimes worse things that can happen to you than just death. Like someone could forever change you through an attack or through a beating. You could be harmed and live and be in a bad position for the rest of your life. Well... When officers use different uses of force, they have to complete these use-of-force reports along with the arrest report. And it appears as though something happened. It might have always been this way because there have been questions about Winkle in the past with domestic violence and various other aspects as far as that. I've talked about that before, and that's not this. We'll get into that later. Or you can find out more about that in older shows. But what's happening with these indictments in this situation is at some point in March, June, August of 2018, there were a couple different arrests that were occurring in which Chase Winkle, Jeremy Gibson, both Muncie City police officers, were going above and beyond what the use of force called for. And there are several different suspects that are listed in these indictments. There are also other officers that are listed in these indictments. And there are other suspects or victims and other officers that have been named 
in other situations that don't even appear in these indictments. But to only go off what we have here from the arrests today, we have the fact that there are three Muncie City police officers who surrendered to federal authorities on Friday, March 13th, again, separate from what happened in the corruption investigation on Thursday, March 12th. This is a totally separate thing, solely dealing with police brutality and police use of force. And the three Muncie City police officers are Officer Chase Winkle, Officer Jeremy Gibson, and Sergeant Joseph Kratia. Okay, Winkle is the son of former Muncie City Police Chief Joe Winkle, who recently left office as a chief under the Tyler administration. He had been brought back when Steve Stewart resigned his position as the chief under Tyler. Winkle has served the Muncie City Police Officer since the early 70s and was chief under Dan Cannon, the mayor of Muncie, from 1996 through 2008. But along with that, you have Jeremy Gibson and... Joseph Kratia, who is a 27-year veteran of the police department and has always been an amazing police officer. I don't know much about Jeremy, and I do know a little bit about Winkle, but I don't know much about Jeremy. I do know Joe Kratia pretty well, and so this just seems so shocking, but these rumors have been going around for a while. Now, Winkle and Gibson are charged with Deprivation of rights under the color of law based off an August 2018 arrest. The indictment says that Winkle, without legal justification, used his knee to strike an arrestee in the head and neck area and used a taser on the same person. Gibson is alleged to have stomped on and used knee strikes against that man. Winkle and Joe Kratia are accused of making false police reports regarding that incident. Winkle faces three other counts of deprivation of rights under the color of law, according to court documents, without legal justification, kicking and striking an arrestee in the head on June 18th, and kicking a detainee in the head until he was unconscious in March of 2018, as well as punching a suspect in the face in February of 2019. Winkle faces four more counts of making false police reports, while Joe Kratia faces a second count of false reporting. The deprivation of rights offense each carries a 10-year prison term while the false reporting count carries a maximum sentence of 20 years. The U.S. attorney in this case said that no one is above the law. The civil rights violations alleged by the grand jury's indictments are very, very serious. No one is above the law. Unfortunately, misconduct by a few can shake the public's 
confidence in the many men and women in law enforcement who proudly and professionally protect the public day in and day out. Today's indictment should make clear the commitment of the Office of the United States Attorney and the Department of Justice to reassure the public and to hold accountable those who violate the civil rights of others even though they wear a uniform. Today's indictment sends a strong message that those who violate their oath to protect and serve the public will be held accountable for their actions. The FBI is committed to preserving the public trust, especially in those who have sworn to uphold the law. To this end, the FBI will vigorously pursue civil rights violations. Now, I want to say that beyond these federal criminal charges, there are currently federal lawsuits against Winkle and against others for some of these same actions listed on people who weren't even listed as victims in these indictments. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens here. Now, we are hearing from the current administration, all right, and Mayor Dan Reidenauer and the police chief, who is a new chief, Nathan Sloan, about these situations. And the Muncie Police Department and the city of Muncie's press release today says that the Muncie Police Department administration, along with the mayor, was made aware of this ongoing federal investigation upon taking office on January 1st, 2020, and that they have cooperated fully with the investigation. It does say that the city is unable to comment on the details of this investigation at this time, but... They want the public to know that they are striving every day to improve policing services to the citizens of Muncie. And to that, I say, you have to. You don't have a choice. This is beyond disgusting. And I'm going to tell you right now, the majority of the officers that wear the badge for MPD are upstanding, wonderful human beings. But there are a few, three listed here and more that aren't listed, and that's what's scary, that need to be weeded out. And Nathan Sloan and Dan Reidenauer have got to do whatever they can to try and weed the bad guys out and bring new good people in because they have a serious appearance problem. They have a serious perception problem. And this is not good for law enforcement officers. You know, the American police officer is the only person who can take the life of an American citizen on American soil for just cause. That's a pretty awesome power. Pretty mind-blowing power. They can deprive you of your rights. And when that happens, we have to be 100% certain that every step was taken to do this 
in the best possible way that it can be. Because just because someone is a bad guy, quote unquote, just because someone's being arrested doesn't mean they're not a human being, doesn't mean they don't have rights. If you're a person going about your life and never have interaction with law enforcement, your rights aren't being challenged. I would contend that it's the person being arrested who puts the rights to the test. And so when someone wants to be a police officer and has that calling and takes on that job and they swear that oath, they have to be sure what they're doing is under the color of law the right way. And they have to make sure that they are not depriving citizens of their rights through their actions. Because, yes, drinking and driving is a problem. And drinking and driving should stop. And if you drink and drive, you should be arrested. Okay, I I have no problem with that. But because you are drinking and driving doesn't mean you should have your eye blacked. It doesn't mean you should have your teeth knocked out. It doesn't mean you should have your head stepped on. Now, look, I understand and I fully get that people act fools, right? All the time, people act a fool. People all the time resist and do things they shouldn't do. They fight. And I understand that being a police officer is a dangerous job, that police officers are killed in the line of duty and that they have to protect themselves. That's why training has to be the key. We need to focus on training, push, training, 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 training. And I know that Chief Sloan and that Mayor Ridenour is working on that. But we as citizens need to make sure that that's what's happening. Because it's us, the citizens, that the police are going to have to deal with in good and bad. It happens. People make mistakes. I would say to the citizens, don't act crazy in the presence of law enforcement. If you're dealing with the police, try to be as respectful as possible. Look, I understand. I know it's a pain in the ass to get pulled over for speeding. But if you don't act a fool, they won't act a fool. And it's better to fight it out in court later than to fight it out on the side of the road getting your head stomped and getting tased or getting shot. Now, when police officers go above and beyond to act crazy or to act wrong, yeah, I get it, that's wrong. But fighting them at that point, you are under-armed. You're not in a good spot to do that then. Take mental notes. Record the interaction. Be as polite as possible to get out of the situation to then be able to contact an attorney, to be able to contact the news, to do what you can to then expose that from that point of view. It's better to be able to do it that way than to expose it because you've been stomped to death or because you've been shot to death or because you're in surgery and are never going to be the same because you've been stomped. And look, I'm not saying that's what's happened here or not. I'm just trying to say we have a situation where when arrests are occurring, it's a heated situation. And we all just need to do the very level best that we can 
to make those situations go as easy as possible. And it is on the officer to have the training, to have the knowledge, to do what he or she needs to do to not violate anybody's rights. Because I don't care if you're being arrested. I don't care what you've just done. Your rights are given to you by the fact that you were born in America. If you're a believer, they were given to you by the God Almighty. And it's not for a police officer on the side of the road to decide if you get those rights or not. If you were speeding or driving drunk, or you have possession of, of cocaine on you. That's not what being a police officer is about. So we'll have to monitor what occurs here with these indictments. They're facing serious, serious time. Of course, we'll have to follow what happens in the corruption investigation. And I think it's fair to say I don't believe either investigation is fully complete. It's going to be an interesting next couple of weeks and months. Of course, we still have the election upon us, and we have this virus. We've went long again this episode. I want to apologize. I want to ask you all to share this episode. It's a very important episode, both for the COVID-19 discussion and for the look at both of the FBI investigations and the arrests that came on Thursday the 12th and Friday the 13th of March 2020. And believe me when I say we here at Perception is Reality will be on top of all of this going forward as well as everything else. I'm going to ask that you share this episode. Remind folks they can find us on all major podcast hosting sites by searching Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbury, or they can do it the easy way simply by searching Bilbury, B-I-L-B-R-E-Y, podcast. That's all you got to put in. We're always at the home link of perception.fireside.fm, and as always, you can find the merchandise store which I really think you should take a look at, Merch Is Reality, by going to Merch Is Reality, all one word, merchisreality.square.site. Go there, buy some of our items, get into a little bit of the perception gear, and help support the podcast. Until next time, stay active, stay involved, Stay safe. Wash your damn hands. I'll look forward to talking to you again real soon. And until then, God bless. You've been listening to Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey. Bilbrey. Tune in, like, and subscribe at perception.fireside.fm. Hook up on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Bilbrey318 and on Twitter at PISRBilbrey. Email khbilbrey at gmail.com or get off your butt and call the show at 765-546-9796. Till next time, remember... Perception, Perception is, is reality. Reality. reality.
This has been Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey, where we aim for better government through citizen involvement.